It's Tuesday, April 26th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, from Income Investor, James Early, and from Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers. Guys, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, Chris. We've got earnings this morning from Ford and Coca-Cola, but we will begin with last night's earnings from Netflix. Charlie, revenue beat expectations, subscriptions grew at a faster rate than expected, and Netflix is now the largest entertainment subscription service in the United States. But they lowered guidance, and the stock is down more than 7% as we're taping this, a very heavy volume. Um, Why is the bad news outweighing the good results? Uh, Yeah, that's a very good question, Chris. And uh, I might have to crawl under the desk and hide before I go any farther because Netflix is one of the most beloved companies uh, in Fuldom. But I'm going to agree with the market selling off the stock here. Uh, I am not really that happy with what Netflix is doing. Um, You know, it's kind of a, you know, one down thumb, one up thumb. And the down thumb here is that this company is just wasting gobs and gobs of money at a time when their business is under assault uh, from all angles. Uh, For example, they spent $100 million buying back shares this quarter, you know, and they've only got $300 million on the back. Balance sheet. And, you know, as they're getting into proprietary content, you would think they would want to beef up uh, their cash hoard so that they can continue to stay two steps ahead of the competition. You know, instead, they're furthering money away. And I'm not really happy with what they're doing. I think they need to change their direction. Um, on the earnings call, Reed Hastings, the CEO, said that Netflix can afford to write bigger checks for content. You're saying that... Well, he's writing bigger checks to himself because the company (laughs) bought back 200,000 shares in the quarter and he sold 70,000. I mean, so he's selling a million bucks a week. And these shares are not cheap now either. No, they're not cheap. And the stock is also not priced for the bigger paychecks that the company is writing. Right. Shares are also so, not priced for proper competition. And when you've got Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Dish, Blockbuster, um, all coming after them, um, it's, it's, it's really it's not a surprise. It's inconceivable that buying back stock at 80 times earnings is better than investing in content that's going to attract new subscribers. It makes no sense at all. Now, we talked recently about Dish Network acquiring uh, Blockbuster, buying it out of the bankruptcy auction. Uh, for the first time, Netflix called out Dish Blockbuster uh, in their release uh, as a real competitor. Is that legitimate? Do you think that that's out of respect for them? Or do you think that that's a little bit of a head fake to try and get their other competitors focused on Dish Blockbuster? No, th- th- this is a very legitimate threat. Um, Dish Network has 14 million subscribers compared to 23 for Netflix. So they've got that critical mass user base to really uh, get some juice out of that asset they bought from Blockbuster, which will allow them to build out their online service. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a different business model because Dish provides, you know, all the kind of cable channels you would want. With, um, you know, recently they're adding on movies. They've done deals with HBO and Cinemax. And so if they're providing the kind of content that, you know, people have been going to Netflix for, uh, that that's a very real threat. You know, and I made a comment about Netflix's uh, balance sheet. Dish has $3 billion in cash. So this is the kind of pocket you're talking about to play this game. And Netflix, in my opinion, has to change the direction they're going. A lot of competitors, obviously, as you said, coming from a lot of different angles. Which one do you think represents the greatest threat to Netflix? I'd, I'd rank the top two as Amazon and Dish. Uh, you got very well-capitalized companies with smart management teams uh, that have the net technical know-how and the knowledge of their customer base to uh, compete with Netflix. Ron, do you yeah, agree with I, that? I'd agree with the Amazon. I might throw in Facebook. Well, I don't know if it's two or three, but I think Facebook has some opportunities here. But I, I really think Amazon is going to come after them. How soon would, the, would any of these come to fruition? 
uh, I would More say than a year. faster than you would think. You think? You think yeah, because within a year, within a year, I just downloaded some shows off of uh, Amazon HBO shows that aren't available on Netflix. You know, you pay a buck thirty a pop and you get to watch them. Uh, the quality is very good. I would say the user interface is not quite as good as Netflix, but they're here right now and they're coming fast. To this point, Netflix has had success in transitioning the company from DVDs that get mailed out to streaming. What do you think is the next transition? What is the next act for Netflix? Yes, Chris, I've been kind of dogging on Netflix here, but credit where credit's due, this management team has done a great job over the last decade, you know, staying ahead of everybody else who's coming after them. And I think where they're going next is uh, there's two key components here. One is international growth. They want to be a global video delivery platform. And then the second is they want their own proprietary content, which gives them a unique offering for their subscribers to keep paying them that they can't find somewhere else. Coke's first quarter sales were $10.5 billion, but Wall Street was expecting a bit more, and shares are falling today. James, what's the story here? You know, the, the story is that Coke is doing really well, actually, Chris. Um, you know, Wall Street is upset that, that they literally missed by like 1.14%, I think, the computation works out to, which is, I mean, come on, that's really not a big thing in, 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 in the, for, for a long-term investor. Coke had uh, volume increases in the U.S., which has been uh, soft lately. Global volume was up 3%. Uh, uh, everywhere except Europe, really, was doing pretty well. So this company, in my opinion, is firing on all cylinders, and this is just a, a minor miss that, that really shouldn't ding the price much. We've talked a lot recently about commodity prices rising. Um, When it comes to commodities, how does that affect a company like Coca-Cola? Well, Coke's gross margin, or, or their cost of goods sold, I should say, which is which includes the commodity prices, uh, is, is about 37% of their sales, which is which is high, but it's not outrageous. So it's, it's definitely going to affect a company like this. But you know, over the longer term, when, when you're with a company with a strong brand, Coke will gradually be able to incorporate those prices better than, let's say, a no-name company. Charlie? Well, exactly right. And all the other companies they compete against with have the exact same input cost inflation that Coke does. And Coke has the brand power uh, to endure it, and probably the distribution and the scale and all that uh, to handle it a little better than the small players. Right, and and the reason Warren Buffett likes a brand like Coke is because of that pricing power. Um, and Coke has opportunities overseas that many of its competitors don't. In fact, the the strongest areas this quarter were, were Russia, Turkey, Mexico, India. Um, they've got a global brand here. Um, and that's like we own the stock in Million Dollar Portfolio, largely because of the international exposure. Do you think that Coke needs to take a page out of Pepsi's playbook? Because a, a lot of Pepsi's revenue is coming from their snack division. Do, does Coke need to diversify a little bit in that direction? Well, in fact, most of Pepsi's revenue is coming from their snack division. It's primarily a food company. Um, but they have lower gross margins than Coke does, maybe you know, seven, eight, ten percentage points lower off the top of my head. So Coke is actually more profitable on, on a sort of a per unit basis. It, it would help, but you know, Pepsi has such a stronghold of that market, I wouldn't want to see Coke do anything irrational. I think they do what they do well. So over the next five years, you like uh, Coke better than Pepsi? Well, that's a tough choice because they're very different. Uh, it's easy to compare the soft drinks, but as companies, they're, they're actually very different. I, I think Pepsi is a little bit cheaper right now and it is more diversified. So it's maybe a little bit on the Pepsi front for that reason. Charlie? Yeah, I wouldn't mind them see as they increase per capita consumption worldwide, maybe pick up a small company working on treatments for diabetes. You know, it's kind of a <laughs> nice compliment to what just, they're doing. Just to hedge their yeah. bets. Ron, what about you? For the international exposure, I'm, I'm sticking with Coke. Do you, do you have a, a go-to soft drink? It doesn't have to be Coke or Pepsi. I'm a Dr. Pepper fan. Are you? Yeah, I am. 
Is it because of the ads with Gene Simmons? It is not. <laughs> Why? Those are good ads. They are good. It's for the fantastic flavor profile. Flavor profile. Like wow. Someone's been watching the Food Network. <laughs> and finally, Ford's first quarter profit was a better than expected $2.6 billion. It was Ford's best first quarter since 1998. Ron, we've got higher sales volume, higher prices. Vehicles are selling for around 2400 more than they did a year ago. What do you think yes, of Ford's earnings? As, as a Ford shareholder for probably over a decade now, I'm almost back to even. You're a patient <laughs> man, Ron. <laughs> Literally, I'm within a dollar of even, uh, but the company's doing a great job. Um, they've revamped their product line. Their smaller cars, their subpack compact cars are really helping them. The new revamped Explorer SUV um, is doing a great job. They saw strength in Asia. They're paying down their debt. They actually now have almost $5 billion more cash than they have debt. So the balance sheet is being shored up. Um, there's some threats you know, around the corner, for, like rising raw material costs. It seems like it, that sentence crops up in everything we talk about nowadays. So no surprise, rising gasoline prices are always a threat to this industry. But I think their subcompact fuel-efficient cars are actually going to help this in, them in this area relative to, to the other manufacturers. Our colleague, Joe Mager, who runs our Inside Value service, uh, recently recommended GM uh, as a stock that he likes. Um, he acknowledges Ford has got a better product lineup, uh, certainly a first-rate CEO in Alan Mulally. Um, but he prefers GM. He says they've got a better balance sheet, cheaper valuation. They're ahead of the curve on uh, plug-in hybrids. Um, with that in mind, over the next five years, you like Ford or GM? I would go Ford over GM because they are making cars that people want to buy. And what is more fundamental? <laughs> what is more fundamental to investing than that? And I don't think GM is going the right direction. James, you I, agree? I agree. Ford is a legitimate company. GM is a propped up zombie child that, that only passed the test because his mom gave him the answer. No, really. How do you feel about it, Charlie? Oh, I would say this really comes down to Mustang or Camaro, and hands down, it's Mustang. Uh, James, you're a, a our resident gearhead. Uh, do you have a, a tip for car maintenance? You don't have to change your oil as frequently as Jiffy Lube says you do. Consumer really? Reports is, yes, it's a lie. <laughs> it's cars that are the the the, uh, the boring of the cylinders is so precise these days, done to such a fine tolerance that you don't have the same metal shavings getting into your oil, contaminating it. Uh, Consumer Reports did a study of New York City taxi drivers who changed their oil at 3,000 versus 6,000 miles and found literally no difference. So you can go 6,000 miles if not more. Most people can. It's a myth. The 3,000 wow. miles is a myth. What if I lease my car and I never change my oil but pretend to? Is that okay, too? How, how would you pretend to? I'm just kidding. Just, like, yes, get under yes. there and like, look like you're doing <laughs> Right, right. No. <laughs> keep, keep record. Take a photo. He'd be, be, yeah. be using mime techniques, <laughs> that kind of thing. All right, James Early, Ron Gross, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ron, if I may interrupt just for a second. Yes, Speaking please. of very small cars, just just curiosity, what is the smallest car you would be willing to drive? Is, is, there, a, is there a limit or... or or, or do you me personally? Yeah, yeah. Would you a subcontent one of those smart I, I, cars? Would um, you? Our producer Matt Greer, I believe, has a Honda Civic. I would certainly be willing to go to. to the would Honda you go? Civic. Would you go Fiesta? I, I not me personally. No, you would. Okay, that's what I was asking. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> just got totally that one nowhere. <laughs>